This is the Soil Sense podcast where we believe that building healthier soils is not just a prescription, but rather a pursuit. It's a journey that requires collaboration, curiosity, and communication among farmers, researchers, agronomists, consultants, and extension. You're going to hear their stories and discover how and why they're working together to make sense out of what's happening in the soil. there. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Soil Sense. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today's episode is about one of the biggest challenges for many people in their soil health journey, weed management. We're very lucky to have on the show two well-respected agronomic experts to talk about weed management challenges both this year and headed into next year and on into the future. We talk about the weeds that have been the most difficult to manage, how high prices and supply chain challenges are impacting the tools farmers have at their disposal, and what the future of weed control looks like, especially in systems that are trying to manage for healthier soils. Joining me today are Joe Eichley, Extension Weed Specialist at North Dakota State University, and Jason Hansen, owner and operator of Rock and Roll Agronomy. Joe's work includes both extension and research in weed control with an emphasis on corn, soybeans, and dry beans. Jason is an independent crop consultant working directly with farmers as well as consulting with ag retailers on a contract basis. One fun connection here is that our very first field check episode of this podcast included a question from Jason about cereal rye for kosher control, and we recorded that answer with Joe Eichley. So today's episode kind of takes us full circle in some ways. Another fun connection here is that both Joe and Jason are involved with podcasts of their own, and I'll give you the details of their shows here at the end of today's episode. But to start our conversation off here, Joe says that the 2021 season for weed management, at least in North Dakota, can probably be summed up in really just one word. I think Jason and I probably have the same one word answer for this year. (laughs) Kosha. That's definitely the, you know, from my perspective, the the top weed issue of this year. Uh, there's certainly plenty of others along the way, but statewide, North Dakota, fairly dry for everybody. Some drier than others, of course, but kind of a reminder for those who haven't had to battle kosher for a while that once we get dry conditions, there's still plenty of plants around producing seeds, spreading them around. And and it was it was definitely one of the biggest challenges this year if I focus on an individual weed that would be a challenge. Uh, there's other environmental challenges that we face. The hot, dry weather conditions just made for very challenging post-emergence herbicide applications, partly due to drought-stressed weeds that aren't actively growing, partly due to the applications themselves and and some of the, uh, the physics and science behind what happens to a droplet in a, in a pretty arid, hot environment. So a number of different reasons why, you know, kosher was really the, the story or the weed of the year for this year. And we can probably shift gears a little bit later on, but as we've gotten fall rainfall, my mindset has shifted into next year and, and what I think may be some problems for next year. But I'd say 2021, kosher top of the list, but the other weeds were certainly out there as well. And we'll definitely get into the problems he's already thinking about for next year. But first, Jason Hansen echoes how bad the kosher challenges were in 2021 and adds another weed that thrived in the hot and dry conditions we saw this year. Yeah, hands down, it was kosher. We got our butts kicked by kosher this year. Even the best laid plans went awry. Just the way the weather patterns set up, lack of decent rainfall for some of these pre's, dry period, post-emergent spring that happened, and then 
would catch some rain and we had a tremendous flush that came later on that we had to deal with. And I was out in Northeast Montana and their, their biggest problem they have was Russian thistle. So both of those weeds pretty much tell you what the climate was like for the most part this year. And that's a tough spot to be in and to fight it. I mean, there was, like Joe said, there's things we had to deal with. Uh, probably the product for the most part that really ran us into trouble was, uh, was Liberty with our lack of humidity. So I have a lot of uh, Liberty Link canola, mycosia control in that is usually stellar. This year it was uh, extremely marginal. And I don't have a true pre that I can use there for that. So we're, we're making plans right now with uh, issues we'll have to deal with in 2022. But kosha was king. So uh, I'll be probably using my hashtag crush kosha quite a bit this year on Twitter. And crushing kosha is easier said than done. I asked Joe to explain what is it about this particular weed that makes it so hard to manage, especially in years like this one. There's a number of reasons why kosha really does thrive in drier climates. And, you know, one of those is the fact that it does develop a pretty aggressive root system to be able to tap into whatever moisture there may still be in that soil profile. And so if you go back to the 80s and, and even earlier when we had a stretch of dry years together. There's some pretty pretty neat kosha research out there of just basic biology. And I think it was down in Kansas, they were basically doing root digs of kosha and finding that the roots can go at least 16 feet down into the soil depth and at least 16 feet wide. So I guess, you know, eight feet in any direction from that individual plant, which all said and done, it is pretty impressive for an annual plant that has a seed the size of about a grain of pepper, you know, in that kind of realm. So it's this annual plant that can aggressively grow underground, find whatever moisture is there, can you really find moisture in dry conditions much better than some of our crops can. So that will also give it a competitive advantage of just being able to use whatever water is there. Uh, there's some other things about its efficiency with photosynthesis and, and hot dry conditions as well, but What's made it kind of problematic again lately is also herbicide resistance. So some of our herbicides that may even work in hot, dry conditions, uh, having failures because of resistance and also just some of our herbicide failures just due to the environmental conditions as well. So one of the weeds that can really take advantage of just how dry we were this year and, and it just showed statewide. And of course, we absolutely can't talk weed management without addressing this problem of herbicide resistance. Jason says for him and his farmer clients, they've got to operate under the assumption that weeds like kochia are already resistant to some of the most widely used herbicides on the market. I assume that all my kochia is at least glyphosate resistant kochia. You have to take that into consideration. So there's things that people are doing predominantly one crop that it really plays a part in is coarse soybeans. I have quite a few extend or dicamba tolerant soybeans and we, we tackle that with uh, dicamba but I'm, I'm a huge proponent of the pre-emerge products and of course this year I thought they worked but not as good as probably in the past due to our lack of rainfall and uh, if there's one thing that really helps that I've seen with growers I've worked with is where you have a decent rotation. And by that, I mean, if you're going to have corn, soybean, corn, soybean, corn, soybean, you're going to run into problems. You're just selecting for not only glyphosate, but 
probably dicamba as well there on kosha. So once we get wheat or barley or uh, canola, Liberty Link canola in there, it's very manageable. But one of the problems that happened with this year is that I didn't have the stands that I normally have because of the dryness. So when you get more light on the surface of the soil, you're going to have more weed pressure. And it was just the perfect scenario this year for rampant kochia in some of these spots. So guys that have done a fairly decent job, that you still find out how much kochia seed you still have in the ground and how much of it germinated when we got late rains after some of the practices that we had. So, yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating, but that's uh, now I've got uh, higher populations. There's definitely more kochia that is, uh, has been cut, harvested, and rolling and tumbling around the countryside in some of our windy days. So we'll we'll definitely have more pressure to deal with in 2022. And those late rains that Jason just mentioned are part of what is weighing heavily on Joe's mind when it comes to managing the 2022 weed pressure. I was more thinking, especially for no-till production, our winter annual weeds that we just did not deal with in 2021. So if I go back 12 months ago, we had just a tremendously dry fall in 2020. Again, I'm, I'm taking a statewide perspective here and maybe even regionally wide beyond North Dakota's borders. But for winter annual weeds, the germination period is really August through October, typically. And in the case of uh, the rainfall patterns we had in the fall of 2020, just did not get enough consistent rain or moist soil to stimulate germination of those weeds. The most problematic ones on my mind would be horseweed or mare's tail, mainly because it's glyphosate resistant. Uh, there's some winter annual grasses like the brome species as well. And so this year, you know, once we really got into August, especially the eastern half or so of North Dakota started getting rains again. The western half was really mid-September, uh, maybe late September, when they finally started getting rains again. But we also stayed warm this fall. And until the last week of October or so, really didn't get too many hard frost or freezes. And so... Extended warmth plus moisture, I, I think we're going to have these winter annual weeds up. They have germinated. They will overwinter and be a problem next year, which our biggest problem with them comes burn down time before planting our crops. And so it was basically we, we had the scenario where I don't think, you know, we didn't battle too many of these in 2021 because they just did not germinate last fall. And so hopefully our short term memory doesn't get the best of us and we don't think we won't have to deal with them in the spring of 2022. And in situations like this one, where there are such favorable conditions for winter annual weeds, Joe says establishing a cover crop can be a really helpful tool in the toolbox. Yeah, so a cover crop typically will, and kind of the historic or the classical weed science thing we'll talk about is cereal rye, just a, a cover crop that produces a lot of biomass. And we can see a lot of benefit, especially for a weed like horseweed or mare's tail. It's competitive with it, to some extent in the fall, and then in the spring, it just grows faster than, than those weeds will, than the horseweed and mare's tail will, the rye will grow faster. And there's also other things we can do within rye, so that being a grass cover crop, if you do have just a lot of horseweed pressure or other winter annual broadleaf weeds, you could still spray a 2,4-D or dicamba in that cover crop to selectively control those, those broadleaf weeds as well. So 
you know, that that is a good thing. If you do have a cover crop established, then you will get some benefit out of that for some of these winter annual weeds. If you don't have one established, though, then be prepared to be as timely as possible in the spring at this point with any burndown program. Now, Jason is somewhat famous for his quote, logistics beats agronomy every day of the week. You might remember that from the podcast episode we did with him about a year ago. Unfortunately, the conditions this year have not been favorable for as many acres of cover crops to be planted as he would like. I don't see as much as I probably would like to or that we should. And it was the year. So when we came into even August, we were very dry. And so when you had barley come off and wheat come off, this is the biggest amount of acres I've ever seen in my geography that did not get worked. Generally, I get right behind the combines. I do some soil sampling because I try to beat the chisel plow. And nobody worked anything because it was too dry. And we started getting some rains. And it was probably a warmer fall. And then it became a, we ended up having a normal precip type of year because of what we ended up getting in October. And what that warm weather and that moisture did is all of a sudden you had this huge influx of volunteer canola and volunteer wheat and barley and and you name it. And all of a sudden, you didn't have to plant. I had some stands of volunteer wheat and barley that were better than the original crop that was seeded. We haven't had a freeze here until probably a couple weeks ago, and now we're hitting in the you know mid-20s. There's some fields that were just absolutely covered you didn't need to seed anything and people have been busy with harvest and some people burned this off some people let it go most of it was burnt off it was the biggest fall burn down era i've ever seen in a chisel plow area in the fall which i think will be good because it was there was actually more 2,4-D glyphosate wasn't too bad until price started dictating and crimping supply but there was even some dicamba that went out. And so I'm pretty positive there, but we didn't see people go in, buy cover crop to go out and purposely do this. I think most people felt that they kind of had it there with uh, the volunteer and so left it or, or let it get up so high and then sprayed it out and then left it stay that way because everybody remembers how much dirt blew this winter and particularly this spring. And nobody wants to see that ever again. You heard Jason mention there the prices of some of these herbicides, and that's definitely something that's been impacting farmers this year. High prices and supply chain issues. Yeah, absolutely. I have never had a fall where somebody's went out and sprayed clethodim as a volunteer grain control option because it was cheaper than glyphosate. And they could get clethodim they couldn't get glyphosate at the time that they did that. Right now, you see an extension of, I know dealers that had orders for 20,000 gallons of glyphosate that did not get it. Orders that started in July, that in October, they said, no, sorry, it's not going to happen. And some of that is people trying to get a hold of it to bank it. Uh, I had people that I told, hey, if you've got it, we're going to be very selective where we put it, but let's make sure that if you have possession that we keep that for this upcoming 2022 crop. So there was some alternatives where people would probably go out and do fall burn down using glyphosate. They'd use clethodim 
There was other products used, more 2,4-D, some dicamba, uh, some sharpen. Things that they just, uh, we decided what to do. Some fields ended up getting worked after they had a large amount of regrowth on fields. It's a very big concern with where the supply chain is. Liberty is going to be one. Glyphosate will be one. That'll spill over. I think our pre-emerged products are going to get a lot of stress, which they should, because if you can't rely on that post, you have to, have to get on that pre-product. And, and Clethodim, of course, will have a lot of stress too. So it's going to be a, a very interesting spring as we move forward. And those plans are starting a lot earlier right now. And everybody says, well, I got it booked or my dealer said I'll get it. If you don't physically have it in hand, all bets are off. Don't rely on what you think you're going to get. You have to have it this year. I asked Joe if he would also weigh in on what he's seeing from supply chain issues and his sense of how this might impact things headed into next spring. With the what we're calling supply chain issues, if I give a silver lining to it, it's a couple of products we use a lot of. So Glyphosate or Roundup and then Glufosinate, the main brand there is Liberty. So yeah, we, we use a lot of those products and uh, a shortage or increased prices aren't going to be good for anybody. But I'm not hearing of the shortages on pre-emergence herbicides or, or some other chemistries we have as well. You know, if I kind of round up my list of what I've heard, maybe by the time we get into next summer, clethodim may be in short supply and some of our generic 2,4-Ds. But otherwise, most manufacturers seem pretty comfortable with their levels of supply of the other herbicides they have. Basically, those products, there's some global things going on, which has really put the stress on kind of the four that I mentioned there. So it sounds like we should have ample supply of our pre-emergence herbicides. And so, you know, we'll be able to use those and, and we need to use those for all the right reasons for weed control to reduce selection pressure of the post-emergence herbicides. And, you know, other things is there's shortages, increased prices. But as Jason said, if you can take possession of herbicides and not just pre-purchase and hope you'll get it. If you have the inventory in hand, then having a pre-emergence herbicide will make it a lot more likely you'll be successful with that single post-emergence application. And so kind of really going back to some of the things that we discussed throughout any winter about all the other things with weed control, we have all these other tools out there. And this will really just be one of our educational points this winter to highlight. We need to focus on these other sound practices that we can focus on just in case we can't get all the supply we want or at the right price we want for next year. And on this topic of looking at other sound practices, I asked Joe about the research that's going on to bring new tools to the market in the midst of growing resistance problems and now supply chain issues. Yeah, so when I look at you know some of the ongoing research, we continue to focus on the best way to fit cover crops into a rotation for weed control. There's a couple of, you know, different projects going on at, across many universities. And, you know, something that does have to be tailored regionally. And, and one example I'll give is, you know, a lot of the classic cover crop research for weed control may come out of the Northeast United States where you're all but guaranteed 40 to 50 inches of rain a year. And one of our messages this past spring, going back to how dry 2021 was, is we sometimes, especially in a drier environment, have to strike a balance of not letting that cover crop use too much moisture while still getting biomass production for weed control. And so we continue to focus on things like that, you know, 
trying to, to optimize, I guess I should say, these cover crops for weed control. One of the things that probably shows a lot of promise is what we call harvest weed seed control practices. And so this is really some research that started in Australia where they've just had issues with some grasses like ryegrass with resistance, unable to control it in wheat with herbicides. And so they started looking at things like, what do we do with the weed seed at harvest, knowing it's, it's still likely to be retained on the weeds as we're running the combine through a field? And it's probably the most practical and easy thing from an efficiency perspective is they basically developed a hammer mill that can be attached on the back of a combine and grind up any weed seed that goes through that hammer mill. It's pretty common in Australia. Within the United States, there's a couple companies kind of making their own uh, weed seed destruction device. And so there, there are a couple in place, mainly targeted at the moment, down in, in some states with some major water hemp and palmer amaranth issues where you know, they have a lot of resistance and really focusing on knowing there's a good amount of water hemp or palmer amaranth seed still attached to the plant at harvest. If we can feed that through the combine, uh, even with that small seed, it actually does get ground up pretty well in those hammer mills. And so basically that's reducing the amount of weed seed going back into the seed bank, back into that field. As I mentioned, these classical things we're going to discuss this winter is managing your, your weed seed bank. And so that's one way to do it is having less weed seed go back into that bank. So if we use an actual bank, we're just depositing less. So then there's less to withdraw or germinate next year. And so that's, that's some of these long-term things I think we have to look at because some of our weeds are certainly showing that they can develop resistance to whatever herbicides uh, we can throw at them. So it's kind of bigger picture across the U.S. Those are some of the neat things that I think will have to be incorporated and are relatively easy to incorporate on a large scale is, is the other thing, as opposed to some of the other tactics that may take longer, such as uh, interrow cultivation, weed zappers, other tools that have some promise but are a little bit slower and are more fitted for maybe smaller scale acreage at this point in time. Joe says this harvest weed seed reduction can be really helpful on a variety of different weeds. Although he said, even with mechanical control like this method, weeds can still adapt. If you look at Australia, who's been using this technology for a while, they are starting to see a shift towards weeds that shatter earlier. So basically weeds that lose that seed before we get a combine through the field. So I always go back when I talk about weeds and, and biology and I go back to my Jurassic Park quote from Jeff Goldblum that life uh, finds a way. And so as long as we can continue to stay diverse and not overly rely on something, then we, we certainly stand a better chance. But, you know, short term, if we in the next five years kind of get these seed destruction devices on combines, they will certainly help with some of our problematic weeds. Uh, we just have to kind of keep in mind that we just need to constantly survey the landscape and pay attention to what weeds are, are going back to Jason's quote earlier, kicking our butts and really just trying to stay ahead of the curve on fighting some of those weeds. I love the Jurassic Park reference there. And as we start to round out today's episode, keeping with Joe's quote of life finds a way, I asked both Jason and Joe to provide some closing comments on soil health and weed management. We'll never spray our way out of resistance. So we have to find other methods. And some of that method is just straight up good biology, different uh, patterns that you mess weeds up with, with uh, planting into August 
and letting a, a crop cover the ground. And you might think that you're going to, you know, hey, yeah, we can run into issues. The western part of the state, I don't think they would do that because they're that dry. We, right now, we could do that here. And then if we get enough cover, we will catch snow. And people remember, we did not do that last winter, and it, it hurt us. Anything that you can do to do more fall burn down, to set you up better for next spring, to leave things into more no-till, you're leaving weeds on the surface and you're not getting them mixed in a constant flush, doing those things, just trying some things that are different. It doesn't have to be a major shift, but you're going to have to do some of those practices in order to get ahead. And look at uh, maintaining the viability of that soil, not having it move. That's probably the biggest soil health thing I see is just keeping what we have there so we're not losing it to erosion. That was a huge thing last year. There was some fields last year which made you sick to your stomach to even see because it's all the good stuff. It's like the frosting on the cake that's sitting in the ditch. You don't want that. That's it's the highest P, the highest K, highest percent organic matter. You don't want to see that leave because it takes too long to build it up. We'll never rejuvenate that in our lifetime trying to farm it, you know. And Joe's going to get the last word to close out today's episode with a great reminder as we head into the winter months of the year. Yeah, so some of the things I was thinking through um, listening to Jason's answer there was when we look at no-till production and some of the different things that we can do with weed control, now there's certainly a learning curve for those who are new to it. We've talked about a number of things this episode, like fall burn down, cover crops. You know, one thing that was stuck onto my mind during Jason's comments was something we're continuing to do more of, at least in western North Dakota, where their no-till is, is a fall application of a residual herbicide for that spring emerging kochia. And so there's some good research out of the Minot or the North Central REC, Brian Jenks and Minot has, has done this for a number of years. And so there's some products we can apply. So Flumioxazin or Valor is one that also provides us flexibility if you want to chase a bunch of different crops and really helps reduce the early season kochia pressure. So you'll still have kochia plants, but there's fewer of them, so it's easier to control with your spring burndown. So there's, there's little things like that where we can change our practices, some of the times of year where we make herbicide applications or just do the other cultural weed control practices. So it's, it's certainly, it's, it's a constantly changing game. And we just continue to think about and need to evaluate some of these different things we can try. And that can also depend on your tillage system, what things may or may not work. Because that, you know, fall applied herbicide, if you go ahead and till that spring up in the field, you're just going to dilute whatever is there and, and really not get the full benefit of that. So I think, again, I, I go back to planning. Uh, so no matter what, what you're going to do next year, and what you have done this fall, we just need to think about what's already been done, what we want to do, and, and really take advantage of these winter months as we plan weed control for next year. Well, thank you so much to Joe Eichley and Jason Hansen for being on the show. Both of these guys have podcasts of their own that you should definitely go check out. Jason co-hosts the Agronomist Happy Hour podcast with Kyle Oakey. The whole gist of it is, is just a very conversational about as current events as we possibly can get around agronomy topics. Uh, we'll have guests on, we'll do some episodes just with ourselves, and then we like to talk about craft beers and uh, breweries within that geography. 
And uh, I think this year we have a goal. We're going to try to set out and try to talk to 50 agronomists in all 50 states. And Joe co-hosts the War Against Weeds podcast with Sarah Lancaster and Mandy Bish. Basically, our, our tagline for that podcast is that silver bullets are for werewolves. And uh, the reason we kind of chose that one is because everyone asks what's the next silver bullet for weed control. And, uh, well, silver bullets don't kill weeds. They, they kill werewolves. And so with that in mind, we, we basically like to take uh, about 30 to 40 minutes each week, or each episode, I should say, to look at something related to weed science. So go check out War Against Weeds and Agronomist Happy Hour, and thanks again to both Joe and Jason for today's episode. Thanks as well to the sponsors of Soil Sense, the North Central Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Program, the North Dakota Corn Council, the North Dakota Wheat Commission, the North Dakota Soybean Council, the North Harvest Dry Bean Association, the North Dakota Barley Council, and Anheuser-Busch. If you're getting any value from these podcasts, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, and share your favorite episodes on Twitter using the hashtag SoilSense. We'll be back with another great episode next week.